preach the passage. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall in the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. In my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming, and it will be brought about, declares the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires of the weapons and burn them, shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, clubs and spears, and they will make fires of them for seven years, so that they will not need to take wood out of the fields or cut down any out of the forest, for they will make their fires of the weapons. They will seize the spoils of those who despoil them and plunder those who, have, who plundered them, declares the Lord God. On that day I will give to Gog a, burial, a place for burial in Israel, the valley of the travelers, east of the sea. They will block the travelers, for their Gog and all his multitude will be buried. It will be called the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them, and it will bring them renown on the day that I show my glory, declares the Lord God. They will set apart men to travel through the land regularly, and bury those travelers remaining on the face of the land so as to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make their search, and when, they are tra when, and when these travel through the land and anyone sees a human bone, then he shall set up a sign by it. Till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. Hamanah is also the name of the city. Thus shall they cleanse the land. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all beasts of the field. Assemble and come. Gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel. And you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of he goats, of bulls, all of them, fat beasts of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you are filled, and drink blood till you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And the nations will, shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them, and, they, and gave them into the hand of their adversaries. And they all fell by the sword. I dwelt with them, I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions, and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, 
Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery that they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. When I brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore, and I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. As I said this morning, the main point about these chapters uh, of Ezekiel is the main point of the whole Bible is that God will glorify himself and he will magnify and exalt his name. It, uh, it, it is um, a very easy thing to do to get lost in the weeds of all the detail of the historical narrative of Ezekiel, and I do believe it's history. I do, I do believe it's not merely a spiritual allegory, as some have said. Nor do I believe, though, it is a uh, a, um, a uh, exact representation of uh, a future uh, great uh, uh, war uh, in the distant future, as some would say. I, I, there are several reasons I say that. Um, one is is simply the if you're a literalist and you read this text literally it's hard to imagine a future world where the main um, uh, engine of war are, are cavalry on horseback are people who uh, 
are using swords and using um, ancient uh, helmets and armor, uh, given all that we know about uh, um, um, warfare today. Uh, I, uh, uh, the the uh, current um, war in Ukraine and Russia is something that just grieves me to no end, breaks my heart. Um, for the Russian people as well as the Ukrainian people because of the cruelty of it. Um, as a former uh, army chaplain, I, I've always been interested in weaponry and warfare. And, and, and if you pay attention to that, or you see just how even on a, on a, um, in a land war like that, the, the scale of weaponry and the precision of weaponry is just truly uh, hard to comprehend that we have all these uh, incredible devices to kill people with on the battlefield. And, um, and that is the purpose of warfare, make no mistake about it, is to kill people uh, in order to come uh, to bring it to a conclusion. And it is not given to the hand of individuals, it's given into the hands of nations to wage war. Um, nonetheless, it is disturbing to see the results of it, but that when things are described that are described here, uh, such as um, verse, back down in verse 9, those who dwell in the cities of Israel, they will go out and make fires of the weapons and burn them, shields and bucklers, bows and arrows. <laughs> Clubs and spears. They will make, and they will make fires out of them that will last for seven years. So, so much, so many, so much wood. These weapons made out of wood that they won't have to go in and cut anything out of the forest um, for the whole time. Now that's a lot of wood. And I, as I look at modern weaponry, modern warfare, I can't think of a single one made out of primarily wood. Maybe some parts, maybe, but, but even then I would be hard-pressed. Some of you younger soldiers and military people who keep up with such a thing may, may be able to explain how this could be uh, literally fulfilled. I, I, um, I think there will be a fulfillment of it. And I think it will be, uh, but I also think you have to look at the imagery here and the symbolism of the perfection of God's judgment. Um, and so that, that's, I'm going to say that because I think it's uh, just something to, to really uh, uh, put your mind around. So we, we, um, we know that some of this uh, does have historical fulfillment. I, I do believe that some of it has a future fulfillment from this perspective. I, and I believe that part of that is if you read, if you have a copy of the Apocrypher, our Confession of Faith makes it clear that the Apocrypher, those are the books that are in the, between the Testaments that are not inspired, 
We do not believe they are inspired. Our confession says they are not inspired, but if they do, it also says that they can be read. And there are there are some actual factual history in particularly the books of Maccabees. And so there are some fulfillments there. If you get if you get out a map of the intertestamental period and you open it and you you'll you'll it'll surprise you to know that Israel had its largest largest borders in its history during the period of the Maccabees. From Dan to Beersheba, as it was promised, and then all the way up toward the borders of Assyria. It's uh, it looks like a giant P-shaped territory. It's huge in its expanse, the influence. And if you read uh, Josephus history and uh, some of the ancient historians surrounding that, you could, you could perhaps see. And if you read, and if you think about Daniel's very detailed and explicit prophecies of the nations that are going to rise in succession in Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12 and Zechariah chapter 13. If you read those passages carefully, uh, you can see um, that there uh, is quite possibly a uh, fulfillment uh, that comes, uh, you know, within within a time frame that makes sense. The Jews are restored to the land. <clears throat> the temple is not the stylized temple. That's why I'm leaving that to Jay next week. <laughs> <laughs> there is a temple though uh, even though it's uh, not uh, when it was rebuilt in Ezra the people weep because it's not of the, the uh, uh, scope of uh, Solomon's temple I believe they also wept because they were thinking something along uh, Ezekiel's spectacular uh, vision as well and it's not that it's certainly not that nor is Herod's remodel of the temple, of that second temple, which um, uh, many commentators say was one of the wonders, wonders of the world. It's beyond the scope of even that. And so uh, it is, uh, we, what we must do is rely on the basic principles of interpretation of the Bible. And we must let scripture interpret scripture. We must let the plain things inter interpret the uh, uncertain things. And when God says something is fulfilled, we must agree with God. Um, the the uh, Now, I think it's wrong to extrapolate from this that all things future are fulfilled. But one of the one of the places that you see this is Acts chapter two, Peter's sermon, when he when he quotes um, the the prophet uh, Joel in Acts chapter two, and, and the people who hear the the response, um, they they think the people are drunk because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them. But uh, Acts 2, verse 17, or verse 16, here's Peter. 
this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. I like the King James better because it says, this is that. This is that which was uttered by the prophet Joel. In the last day, th th there's no room for uh, further fulfillment. And this is emphatic. This is that. The last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And... I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall be that it shall come to pass that everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter is prophesying that a great day of the Lord is yet to come, but, but in the meantime, this is that. This is that. Now, I don't think I could interpret those events exactly, precisely, according to that, but I will not dare say that that is not that. Now, many Reformed people in studying passages like this, they'll, they'll go and they'll extrapolate from those clear passages like the one in Acts chapter 2, and they will, they will say, well, we'll roll it all up and it'll all be fulfilled. And I think that's an error as well. The truth is, we just don't know. And, that lot, lot, and that's not something that many of us are willing to accept. Uh, the, the great, but it's, it's, God has simply not shown us in, uh, exactly how these things will come about. And it's very analogous to uh, the situation in the first century when Jesus began his public ministry. And I would remind you, that the Bible scholars, the ones who knew the scriptures, who were the Pharisees, who were the scribes, who knew all the prophecies, who knew all of the law, who knew all the prophets, nearly to a person they all missed the Messiah when he came. And so a great deal of humility should be brought by us to um, these uh, books and these uh, um, uh, prophecies. I I believe that this is uh, mentioned this morning. That this is the the most uh, logical, and that's dangerous to you know to say that. But the most logical explanation of the of the future fulfillment of this is the. Um, defeat of Antiochus' army by the Maccabees. And if you read the Maccabees, you see some spectacular victories there, but they don't seem to be on the scale of the, uh, what is written here. I mean, this is epic. You're, you're gonna burn wood from weapons for months 
No, not months. Years. Seven years. You're not going to have to go in the forest and cut any wood. So, I'll leave it to you. Some of you know better than me about this. Maybe, hopefully, you'll enlighten me and give me an explanation. But God will, will show the world his glory. I'm back to the main point of spiritual application. He will, he will glorify himself by the utter, complete defeat of God and the people, Magog, and the princes that run this mighty army. And he will make them as prey of the birds of the, uh, 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 he will give them to the birds of prey and to every sort of beast to cleanse them, uh, cleanse the land of the destruction. And the destruction is such that it goes on for years and months. But the destruction of God's enemies recorded for us in this text is certain. Who are Gog and Magog? I, I, uh, I think I think you need a, we need a study of the enemies of the people of God a little bit. I'll give you a little, we're going to do a little Bible study tonight. I ask you to turn to Numbers chapter twenty four. Numbers chapter twenty four, um, verses seventeen through twenty four. We know this is a prophecy of Jesus, right? I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. And then here's this Amalek. Then he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And he looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place and your nest is set in rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Asher takes you away captive. Um, and he, looked, and he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Kittim and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Uh, Amalek is another uh, of the enemies of God that you see traced throughout the scriptures. They pursue uh, 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 God's people. It's Amalek. It's Amal Saul does not put them under the ban and so the kingdom is torn from Saul and given to David. This is one of the uh, classic enemies of God's people. I'm not saying that Amalek and Gog and Magog are the same. I'm simply saying that there is a pattern of enemies opposing uh, the people of God. And then the prophecy that tells us about Satan himself in Isaiah chapter uh, 14 we have this this is uh, this is 
this is where we get most of our theology of the fall of the devil. Out of this prophetic scripture that, that is, is uh, about the downfall, the future downfall of Babylon, which is still distant in the future. Remember, this is Isaiah prophesying about Babylon, which Babylon is the one that finally uh, brings the end to Judah, but God's pronouncing judgment upon Babylon in chapter 14, uh, verse 12. Well, I'll read back to verse 11. Your pomp is brought down to shale. The sound of your hearts, maggots, are laid as a bed beneath you. Worms are your covers. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? You know, there was actually a Christian television, uh, television uh, named Daystar. Mm -hmm. That has got to be the worst name <laughs> for a Christian station in the history of Christendom. How are you fallen from heaven, O Daystar, mm -hmm. son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, who, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That is Satan. Uh, that is describing Satan in his proud rebellion against a sovereign God. Um, again, we could go through um, uh, further in, 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 in Isaiah chapter 27 when he describes the beast Leviathan, the dragon that wages war against God's people. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 30, he describes the, the, the head of the wicked and on and on through the prophets. Evil incarnate and in, uh, Satan inspired leaders of world powers who gather against God and his people. This is not a new thing. And it is, it should not discourage us. It should encourage us in the thought that God will ultimately destroy his people's enemies, Israel's enemies, and the church of in the New Testament, which is the Israel of God, is Jew and Gentile combined. This is how we read this. Um, there's one people of God. There aren't two peoples of God. There's not a separate track of salvation for ethnic Israel versus uh, the Gentile church. The burial, the, the Apostle Paul could not be more clear about this over and over. The Jew of Jews who became the leader of the, of the apostles Paul talks about it again and again and again in his epistles. The barrier wall has been broken down. The division between Jew and Gentile that existed has been broken down. And these two have been brought together and reconciled in Christ. I believe the... And that is the, it is a matter of faith. Again and again, in Romans chapter 2, he talks about a true Jew. What's a Jew? 
A true Jew is not one who's one outwardly, not one who just has a sign of circumcision or has gone through the rites of Judaism. A true Jew is not one uh, who does external acts of religion. Acts 2 makes it, I mean, Romans chapter 2 makes it clear. A true Jew is one who is one inwardly, who's circumcised in the heart. It doesn't mean there's not an ethnic Israel. There certainly is. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be burdened. And, and concerned about uh, uh, ethnic Jewish uh, community and the, and the nation of Israel and their need for the gospel, we certainly should. We should be mo more motivated uh, than, than anyone else for their salvation because we're people of the book. But Paul is brokenhearted. Our attitude toward Jewish people is that not like I see so often. They get some kind of special pass. <laughs> Just because they say they're Jewish. And, and studying the sermon, I, I, I googled the expression, who is a Jew? Mm -hmm. You know, I, and I found out that that expression is a Jewish expression that the Jewish people <laughs> use themselves all the time. Because they're, they're confused about it as well. And rightly so. All of the records of the temple of who a Jew is were destroyed in AD 70. They were burned. It's, it's really interesting, and I don't want to steal any of Jay's thunder, but um, if you read on in the Ezekiel, what the, uh, when they divide the, when uh, Ezekiel talks about the division of the land, it's not anything like uh, uh, was outlined uh, in, in the law. And Moses' allotment of the land. It's completely different. You talk about uh, fruit basket upset. <laughs> and I think it's a prophecy of just that. That God is going to sort it out. He is going to reconcile it. And all these promises to the people, notice that the promises to the people in the land. And again, it's my contention with many others in the Reformed faith that God is gathering his people in the land so that they might receive the glorious gospel. And there are great signs of this starting to occur. Many, many Jewish people are beginning to trust in the Messiah and receive the gift of eternal life. Our method should be the same method that the Apostle Paul held to. And this is, again, why I'm excited that we support Christian Witness to Israel. I'm, I'm excited about any, any outreach to Jewish people because I think when we follow God's method, we, we get greatly encouraged because what does Paul say? The gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And the result of that method, if you go through the book of Acts, that was always Paul's method, right? Where did Paul go and then, as he traveled off into the Roman Empire and sauntered off into to one city after another? He made a beeline to the Jewish community every single time. Even if it was just a group of women meeting by the river. 
he would go to the synagogue, and if he would get kicked out of the synagogue, he would go down to the street to the to the to the uh, the public square and begin to proclaim the gospel there. That's why Paul's epistles, all of them, especially the Book of Romans, are filled with this dichotomy of, of the Jewish and Gentile interaction and what it should look like. We are never to forget the origins and the death, according to Paul in Romans. 9 and 10 and 11 that we owe the, the, uh, the, the Jewish people who have the birthright to uh, these promises that God made to their ethnic progeny which had not been canceled as Romans 11 says once again the gifts and the callings and the promises of God are irrevocable. And one of the things that God promises is his enemies will be destroyed. Now, it, it's not a, it's a really basic reading of the scripture to, to recognize that sometimes God's enemies are his own people. That's been the majority of the theme of the book of Ezekiel, right? He's judging them because of their rebellion. But the other great theme of Scripture is God's unconditional love and grace toward his people. His unconditional covenant to David that he will restore them and bring them back and save them after defeating his enemies. So that's the primary message here, the restoration of Israel. Verse 25, God will restore Israel. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. And they will forget their shame and all of their treachery that they practice against me. And when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. And when I brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands, and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of the nations. That is an un conditional promise I am uh, when I read the uh, particularly the sermons of uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon I, I uh, I'm flabbergasted on some of the things that he said about this uh, he just goes off on a limb and I just think how, how did you do that but he was on he was he didn't equivocate that God is going to put Israel back in the land, and 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 as a result of that, um, they're going to be converted. And when they are converted, it's going to be a blessing to the whole world. That was in, that was in the 1850s. That was a hundred years, over a hundred years before um, Israel began to be assembled. I mean, the initiative to, to put Israel back in the land was started in the, in the early 1900s uh, uh, with the Balfour Declaration and some of those 
of historic events that didn't come to fruition until after the Nazi Holocaust. And when the necessity and the importance of them being re replaced into the land was seen from a human, uh, humanistic standpoint, uh, the motivation was clear. So, going back to my initial statement at the beginning of this, is we don't understand everything about what God, how God will fulfill His work. But what we need to focus on is what we do understand and what we do know. Um, let's read. This is uh, the first. The, the uh, this is this is uh, the whole book of Romans is, is is back and forth between speaking to the Jew and speaking to the Gentile. So there's this constant back and back and forth. But there's so much instruction about what what we need to know about. Speaks to the Gentiles first in 14, 15, and 16, then he speaks to the Jews in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and prove what is excellent because you were instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge of truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? When you, when you say you should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You avoid idols? Do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's a serious charge coming from one Jew to other Jews. For it is written, the name of God is blessed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? that he is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have written who have the written code and circumcision but break the law for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from man, but from God. Now, he is not saying that there is not a Jewish ethnic. It is clear from Romans 9, 10, 11 that he is not discounting the ethnicity of the Jews. What he is saying to Jews and Gentile life, that if you are united by faith in Christ, you are 
You are part of the people of God. You have all the promises of the Bible that the Jews have and the Gentiles have and the nations have, which is a glorious reconciliation and restoration. And the restoration of Israel and Judah through the gospel is not merely their restoration and making the land of Israel a flowering, wonderful place as it becomes more and more every year. And I believe it will come even more so as the gospel spreads there even more. But the, the glorious promise of restoration is that land that we sing of so often from our hymn book. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast the wistful eye. What am I casting my eye upon? I'm, I'm, I'm bound for the promised land. It is that land that the Apostle Paul is adamant about. He was mad because of, of those who were teaching that you have to you have to keep the ritual requirements of the law to be a good Christian in the book of Galatians. He's furious about it. This and he points to Jerusalem. This Jerusalem is in bondage. It's in slavery. It's in spiritual slavery. Jerusalem above is free. Whatever your ethnic background, if you are, if you are in Christ, you are free in heaven. You are in position in Christ. Paul in Ephesians talks about that barrier wall that's broken down. Because it puts us in fellowship with Christ, our King, who is in heaven. That is the, that is the whole Bible, in a nutshell. So the, so the question is, for each one tonight, is, is, are you? Are you in union with the Messiah? Are you in union with Christ? And understand that Christ and Messiah are the same thing. One's the Greek word, one's the Hebrew word, and it's the same thing. Is he your king? Is he your Lord? Have you submitted yourself to him? If not, you are not going to be in the promised land. You're going to be in the land of Gog and Magog and the Amalekites and all of the enemies of God who are going to be cast into the eternal lake of fire forever. So the determination that you need to make and to make it now is where am I? Where is my faith? Where is my trust? Where, what is my position? My, is it in Christ? Or is it in this world? I, am I his follower or am I his enemy? My religious title will do me no good. It doesn't matter if you're Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Presbyterian. It doesn't matter if you're an elder or a deacon. It doesn't matter. 
And what matters ultimately is, is are you in Christ? And have you put your faith and trust in him? And are all these exceedingly great, precious, and wonderful promises, do they belong to you? And child of God, if you are his child, they belong to you. And they should give you great confidence in the midst of a very dark and hostile world, which Jesus has already overcome. <laughs> Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great truth that you have defeated the enemies of your people forever. And just as surely as the smoke from these weapons of war against Israel went up for years and, and the bodies were carried away by the birds and the wild beasts and, and uh, were buried for months, for seven months. Uh, and, uh, Father, it's hard to imagine such a carnage. So will the enemy, your enemies, uh, be judged forever. Father, it's hard to think about all of the the wickedness and the, the resurrection uh, from the dead of both the righteous and the unrighteous, but, but you declare it to be true, and you declare it to be for the purpose of your honor and glory. Father, prepare our hearts uh, for this great day tonight as we, as we hear your word, as we see the end of uh, your enemies. Fill us with joy that you've accomplished this. You've already accomplished it in principle. And in reality, it will be done and is being done every day as Jesus reigns and tramples his enemies under his feet. And thank you for the glory and the joy of knowing Christ and knowing that we, as, as his people united to him, get to participate in that vengeance. Father, what, what a glorious truth. Fill our hearts and minds with this understanding and, and give us great encouragement and great boldness in our witness to those who are lost. Father, and uh, thank you in advance for what you're doing. And we pray for all of us. And if anyone here is yet to come and humble themselves before the mighty King, may they do so. Even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.